Well, good morning, New City. Good morning. Perfect. So I'm happy to once again be sharing uh, this time with you all this morning in person for those who are here or uh, those who are streaming online. Um, last week, we did start a new series um, as well as a new stage in New City's journey um, with the overarching idea of who we are uh, as a people. Um, not who we aspire to be um, and not who we one day hope to be, but who we are right now. Um, who we are as God's children, who we are in this place of community, uh, who we are as people in authentic relationships with God and with each other. So last week we focused on intimacy with God. Um, whether we feel near or far, knowing that God is right there waiting for us to trust Him, that we find ourselves empty before a holy God and allow Him to fill us with His love, with His grace, with His peace, and with His strength. And I hope that last week you were able to take up my challenge um, to make the time to dedicate a space and to just be in the presence of God. And if you didn't, that's okay, but I challenge you to take that step this week. Um, make the time, find the space, and just be in God's presence. So this week, Meg and I decided that uh, later in the summer, we're going to go back to New York to spend some time with her family. Um, and we also decided that we should stop somewhere along the way to spend some family time together before we get to New York. Um, and so we decided that along the way, we're going to drive an extra eight hours past New York um, and go to the end of the U.S., all the way to the very end of Maine. Um, and we found an amazing house. Um, it's right on the coast, and it comes with its very own lighthouse. So it's a pretty cool place, because, like, why not, you know? It's, it's, it's one of those fun things that uh, Airbnb allows us to do in kind of the, the modern era. Um, so I was showing Sawyer some pictures and videos of kind of where we're going to be staying in the small town, um, as well as the house. Um, and we were kind of talking back and forth about what the sunrises might look like, um, what type of boats we might see um, off the coast. Um, would we see any whales? Um, and then he started asking questions about if we had a pet whale, what would we name it? Um, how much does a whale weigh? Um, and then it, it was kind of funny. He's asking what, uh, what do whales eat? Um, we did get on a pretty big whale tangent for a little while. Um, and then he asked a question of, is it our job to turn the light on? And I'm like, no, 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 it happens by itself. Don't worry. Um, but if we did, how would we get to the top? Would we climb the outside? Are there stairs inside? Is there an elevator? Um, and then that got me thinking. I'm like, man, I hate elevators. Elevators are like one of my most hated things. Um, like the crowded elevators that obviously we haven't experienced in a long time. Um, but you're packed in to these things like sardines. And by the way, whales do eat sardines. Um, but you're packed in tight with people that you've never met. 
Um, there's often a protocol what when happens when you hop into a crowded elevator if somebody's standing there obviously you're standing in the opposite corner um, obviously most of the time you're in pretty good posture when you're in an elevator because you're looking up at the flashing lights waiting for it to get to your floor quickly um, a lot of the times you don't speak either that often speaking is a no-no when you're in a crowded elevator even if you're in mid-conversation with somebody before getting into an elevator as soon as you cross that threshold a lot of times the conversations just stop until then you hop out of the elevator. So it's just this weird um, thing for me that I, I really don't like elevators. Um, and when I was in college, um, I was on the road a lot uh, for soccer and um, we were in, I think it was in Washington DC and a few of us were waiting uh, to go down the elevator to go to dinner. Um, and as the doors opened, there was a big group in the elevator. I'm like, man, I, I don't want to do this. Um, and we were talking, and as soon as we got in, conversation stopped. They stopped talking. It was just a weird aura inside the elevator. And then all of a sudden, one of my friends, Brendan, um, as he does, made a funny joke. He is just kind of yelled out at the top of his lungs in this elevator with people that he doesn't know. He's like, oh, this is awkward. And then everybody started cracking up laughing. Um, they started asking us questions about why we're in DC. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting um, kind of scenario that played out. And it reminds me a little bit about kind of the microcosm of, of the world that we live in today. Um, a very large and personal institution where Anonymity, isolation, and independence are the norm that we often can find. Um, it shows us that people can be surrounded by others in a crowded setting and still feel nothing similar to a community. We can be part of a company, a club, a sports team, a church, um, and feel like we do not belong or are not accepted. And I, I think hearing kind of a lot of what Sally has to offer um, this morning about kind of the feeling of coming into a place like this, the inviting nature, even if you're having lunch with eight-year-olds, it's just this wonderful feeling uh, because everything is genuine and, and people are authentic. Um, we can share an office space and not have significant relationships with other people. We can share a home and not have significant relationships. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about Paul. Um, and this was not the case with Paul. Um, if we can throw up map number one, Tony. Um, so he was born in Tarsus, and I kind of highlighted these areas. So he was born in Tarsus. Um, he was educated down in Jerusalem. And just to give you a scale, it's about 700 miles to get from Tarsus down to Jerusalem. Um, he lived in Damascus, um, which is kind of the little star. It's not on the map, but I wanted to show you kind of where it is. He spent formative time of his life in the desert. Um, and then he moved to Antioch. Um, his whole life was on the move. And again, this is before, obviously, mass transit. Um, they were walking or they were in trains or they were in some form of getting around. Um, and then once his ministry began, so if we go to map number two, he traveled out on four extensive missionary journeys, even farther away from the community that he once found himself in. So again, the life of Paul was so widespread throughout his entire life. Yet wherever he went, he established a band of people that huddled together in a supportive and encouraging community. Now you may say, well, it's a different world back then. 
Uh, and I would further that point. Yes, it was a different world, but he was still able to do it. Given the fact that it was 700 miles just from his birthplace to his education site before he traveled to Rome and to, to further areas in Cyprus, it's, it, it kind of shows us that if he was able to do that back then in that time frame and establish those types of relationships, why can't we do that today? Um, does anybody know who Phoebe was in the Bible? Anybody ever heard the name Phoebe? It's referenced once. It's in Romans. Yeah, Sally. Yeah, but I can't remember what to do with that. But I remember where it is. Yeah, good. So Phoebe was actually one of Paul's trusted people who delivered his letters. So again, Paul's writing these letters to all the different churches. How do the letters get there? Obviously, they do have people going back and forth that they can kind of send the letters through with. But one of his most trusted people was this girl called Phoebe. So again, she's traveling hundreds of miles uh, to deliver these messages of strength, of hope to his friends. So again, it, it takes a lot. He was able to create these significant relationships all over. Um, and in 1 Thessalonians, uh, one of Paul's most personal letters, he identifies some of the key components that he used for establishing these. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-8, I'll read it again. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And to add on the little piece that Sally from, read from a different translation, it ends with, because you had become very dear to us. So the three ideas within this text that Paul kind of references, the first one is acknowledge, the second one is nurture, and the third one is devote. So verse 7, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. He's acknowledging his need for others. So just as a, just as a mother, we need each other. In another letter, Paul identifies this need to belong. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 22, and we probably have all heard this before, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The need for, for others is rooted deep within our souls. God planned it this way. That's why he said it is not good for man to be alone. So last week, we spoke about my fondness for chick flicks and romantic movies. Uh, but this week, uh, I want you to know that on the other side of things, um, I do really love stories of people who are in isolation, who are forced to kind of focus on the core nature of themselves. So Tom Hanks in Castaway. Um, he was deserted on a tropical island with no human contact. Uh, Matt Damon in The Martian, uh, left for dead on Mars, having to fend for himself. Alexander Supertramp uh, in Into the Wild, self-removal from civilization. Will Smith in I Am Legend. Uh, he does have a dog for part of the movie, but obviously he's there to kind of fend for himself constantly. And there is a show that I do absolutely love on the History Channel. Uh, it is called alone. 
So if you've seen it, great. You probably understand where I'm going with this. If you haven't, I do definitely recommend watching it. So 10 individuals are asked to self-document their lives um, as they survive in the wilderness for as long as possible using limited supplies. Um, The last one standing wins all the money. But the trick is they never know when other people are giving up. So they truly are alone until they quit or somebody comes to tell them that they won. So again, lots of mental games right there. And the reason why stories and experiences like this grab my attention is because they challenge our fundamental character, the core of human nature. We are social creatures. We are relational. We are not created as isolationists, even though it is time, it is nice to to find some time to get away and, and to spend some time on our own. But we are meant, we are created to live in families, in friendships, in clans, in tribes, in societies. And this is in part what makes the use of solitary confinement such a heinous punishment and torture method. Not only is it cruel and unusual, it is unnatural. It is inhumane. It's the denial of our humanity. We were created to be together, to live, to thrive, and to survive. And this need for others is given to us from God. It is deeply rooted in our core and our spirit. So verse 8, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So number two, nurture, deep relationships. So this has been said before here, uh, but it's worth um, the revisit. So Abraham Maslow, um, if you've heard of him, uh, he created the well-known theory of the hierarchy of needs. Um, So he believed that We all have various levels of need, um, and once we satisfy one, we move to the next level, and so on and so on. Um, And his research revealed that before we can be a person of value uh, and become all that we intend, we must first fulfill our social needs. He concluded that we must be part of the social group, we must be joined with others, and we must experience caring and sharing relationships if we intend to survive fully in this world. And that's all great and well, but these relationships, they don't just happen. They require effort. We have to do more than just reach out to people. We have to share our lives with people. And this truth was one of the secrets that Paul's establishment of supportive relationships brought. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. Here was a man that every time he wrote to a church, which wasn't just writing a letter, there was a big ordeal behind writing a letter to a church. It took many steps. He would always call out by name two, three, four, five people and bring attention to those people. And here in the verses, he uses three specific words that form the basis of developing these relationships. Share, care, and dear. So care, care as a nursing mother. Remember, people don't care how much you know 
until they know how much you care. Second one, share. We were delighted to share with you. So the the word picture of sharing our lives continues this mothering idea. It paints a picture of a mother nursing her baby, and the mother cannot nurse without sharing a part of herself. That's what the whole process of nursing is. One of the most fascinating things that I've learned in my short life of being a dad um, is that mothers are amazing. Uh, I know next week is Mother's Day, but honestly, um, I wanted to say thank you to all the mothers today uh, because you guys really are true rock stars. Um, And the power, the strength, the subconscious, the physical connection that mothers have with their young is a true testament to the reflection of God to us. A baby receives sustenance from the mother. It is God who sustains us. The baby receives life from the mother. It is God who gives us life. If a baby is exposed to an illness, the mother's body notices and creates the antibodies to protect that child. It is God who has given his own life to save us. So even as we look at this idea of mothering, a mother nursing her child, within it, God is showing us the strength of togetherness, of unity and relationship. For us to share with others in deep relationship necessitates that we get up close and personal with each other, sharing back and forth. But one thing is, you can't share from a distance. A mother cannot nurse her child from a distance. One cannot develop these authentic relationships without intimacy, without trust. And this is a major reason why the last 12 months have been such an impact on our society, because we have been distanced from each other. Families have been distanced. And it has created a major impact on the overall health of people, of society. The third part here, dear, because you have become very dear to us. Paul loved these people, the people in Colossae, the people in Galatia, the people in Philippi, the people in Thessalonica. And when he loved them, he did not treat them as a means to an end. He treated them dearly as individuals of value. To communicate our love with others, we must dare to talk about our affections. Jamie, to say that you do little A little bit of this and a little bit of that around this place is an injustice. Thank you for all that you do to make this church so welcoming and so available for those here in person and especially for those people online. Angie, I know you're watching online, but thank you for being such an amazing role model as a parent for Meg and I. John, thank you for being such a strong and steadfast presence within our community. Anne, thank you for being such a wonderful mother for your three girls. It has been amazing to watch them grow. And Claire, who's not here today, I want to thank her for all the hard work that she does behind the scenes every week for the children's ministry and helping this place run so smoothly. We must learn that the gestures of love, but we may... But may we never forget that love cannot just be the words that we say. They have to be backed up by what we do. 
Number three is to devote to authenticity. And verse eight, adding on the verse that, that Sally read from a different translation, because you had become very dear to us. It is not enough to admit that we need each other. We must commit ourselves to getting beneath the surface to become accountable to each other. Authenticity occurs when we let our guards down, when we let the conversations get deep, when our hearts are vulnerable, when lives are shared, when accountability is invited. And this is when true tenderness flows. This is where the believers in the body of Christ become brothers and sisters. This is where, oh, this is why last week's idea of intimacy and trust is so key to getting us to this point. We can't get to this stage here without allowing God to fill the voids of our lives. We can't take the steps to trust those around us until we allow God to heal our brokenness. Paul is fully absorbed in the lives of others despite his distance. He's an active participant. He is relating to, he is sharing with, he is caring with all these people. He explains everything in five words, but our lives as well. He didn't erect barriers. He wasn't distant. He wasn't aloof. He opened his life constantly to others. We can't simply cheer people on and give them our best wishes because that isn't authenticity. We have to make room for them in our lives. And this is the key part. Sometimes making room can be painful. If you think about fixing up a house, to knock out a wall, to knock out a wall in your heart might be painful. It might take a lot of effort. We might need to renovate space to open up room to make room for others. But when we do make that space for others, the walls of indifference and apathy do come down. When we make room for others, we discover the best of others and the best of ourselves. So some of you might know a little bit about my fondness for books and for writing, uh, but I recently came across an author named Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um, and he was great friends with William Wordsworth, if you know William Wordsworth. So Coleridge wrote a truly deep, a little bit sobering uh, a poem in his last years called Youth and Age, if you've ever heard of it. He reflected over his entire life and he reminisced on the strength that he had in his younger days. But there was a single line within kind of the, the depressing nature of it, which it truly was, um, that uplifts the mood in which he declares friendship is a sheltering tree. If you want to throw up that slide, Tony, of the tree. And I would take this point even further. Authentic relationships are a sheltering tree. And how true is that? When the searing rays of adversity's sun burns the way into our days, there's nothing quite like a sheltering tree. A true friend who gives us relief in the cool shade. The massive trunk of steadfastness in which we find understanding. 
the thick leaves of love which protect us from all the elements, whether it's sun or even rain. And many a weary soul in the Bible have rested under this tree. Elijah was ready to quit the ministry, and God gave him rest and provided him with a tree named, anybody? Elisha. Elisha. David was hunted and haunted by Saul, who was out to murder him, and God gave him the most loyal and dependable friend ever named Jonathan, one of, the, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Jesus, he had Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and he was constantly refreshed beneath those sheltering branches. And then there was Paul. He surrounded himself with a forest of trees. There was Barnabas who stood by him when everybody else left him. There was Silas who traveled over a lot of those missionary trips with him. There was Luke, there was Timothy, there was Priscilla. So I ask you, beneath whose branches are you refreshed? Who is beneath your branches? In the walls of the church community, the best place to experience this type of authentic relationship is through small groups. Whether it's a couple's group, a single's group, a men's group, a woman's group, or a just-because-of-it group. This is one of the main ways we are able to water, to prune, to cultivate, and to grow the sheltering trees around us. Because we never truly know when the sun's rays are going to be coming for us or the rain is going to flow in our life and we need a sheltering tree. So this is my challenge this week to you all. Find a way to be connected to each other. Reach out to someone this week. Acknowledge your need for others and for others in your life. Nurture those who are underneath your branches already. And devote yourself to a deeper level of intimacy. Now, I'm not saying to do this with everybody you know, obviously. But that's where last week's message of intimacy and trust plays a role. If we take Jesus' life for an example, Jesus could have chosen any method to start his ministry. He taught the multitudes, but he mobilized 70. But out of that 70, he trained 12, and then he confided in only three. He had that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, the ones that he bore everything with. So if you have a few others in mind for a group, just start it. Just start meeting. There's nothing stopping you. If you're interested in being a part of a group but are not sure, come speak to me, come speak to Jamie, send an email to the church. We'll get it started. In a world, in a society where the impersonal underpins everything, where this is taught as a means for finding success, where anonymity, isolation, and independence are told to us, that's what's normal. We live in this world, in a state, in a city, in a suburb, where we can be surrounded by others in a crowded setting and feel nothing comparable to any sense of community. 
we can feel like we're alone. We can feel like we're in that elevator going up and down, up and down, and still having no connection to anything or anyone. A lot of people are weary, especially after this last 12 months to 18 months. People are tired, and they're looking for an authentic, a real, a forgiving, a loving, a grace-filled community to find rest in. And the only way that we can provide that is if we first become that grace-filled community that we want to see. So again, I ask you, whose branches, who, beneath whose branches are you refreshed? And who is under yours? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have gathered us here together today as brothers and sisters all part of the same family in unity and diversity. I pray that you will open our hearts to each other, that way we may be sheltering trees to those in need, a place of protection, a place of love, a place of encouragement, a place of rest. Help us to be a grace-filled community in this city and for each other. Thank you for who you've created us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen.